Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. The first 10 days of the Jewish New Year, the days of awe, are spent repenting, examining the misspent hours of the previous year and engaging in teshuva, literally returning to right relations through self-reflection, remorse, prayer, confession, and acts of charity in the spirit of loving kindness. But what happens when we are the ones who have been betrayed by life? What does that ask of us? Hint, it's not waiting around for an apology or for someone else to realize the error of their ways. It's not dragging through our days, feeling like victims. This morning, I invite you to reflection on the spiritual work of claiming our place as survivors, what it means to get up, dust ourselves off, and keep on moving forward, shaping our lives in the ways that we can, and surrendering that which we cannot control. This, too, is teshuva, despite all obstacles, finding our way onto a path of love, service, making our way to justice, peace. My beloved friend and colleague, Reverend Carl Scovel, who served King's Chapel on Beacon Hill for 32 years, was raised in China. From 1931 to 1943, his family lived in the city of Jining in southwestern Shandong, the province, as Carl explains it, with the little finger pointing into the East China Sea. His missionary parents worked at the number one people's hospital. These were very difficult times. In 1937, the Japanese invaded and occupied China. The Scoville family lived for 16 months under house arrest and then were forced from their home to a civilian internment camp for an additional six months. This past April, Carl was invited to give a series of lectures at the Shanghai American School from which he and his brother Jim had graduated in 1949 and 1948. In addition, the president of the number one people's hospital invited the brothers to come to mark its 120th anniversary. They accepted these invitations, but not without deep reservations and understandably mixed emotions. Here's Carl's extraordinary story. We arrived at the main entrance of the hospital, which had a huge electronic screen with the message, Welcome Scoville Brothers. We were ushered into a mid-sized auditorium filled with hospital staff who stood and greeted us with applause. We sat in the front row. The president's chief, chief officer greeted us, and then a screen was pulled down and the lights darkened. After the usual fiddling that precedes such presentations, 
An image appeared on the screen which was the last thing I ever thought I'd see in Jining. It was from an old movie showing my grandmother and our beloved Uncle Jim and the three of us older children aged six, four, and two. The film could only have been taken in Mechanicsville, New York in 1936 during our family's sabbatical return to the States. It was followed by other scenes from that visit and then of all things, movies of our parents' wedding in Cortland, New York in 1928, and then of our grandfather Carl, for whom I was named, and then of our father smoking a pipe, then of family, friends, and other shots, including a vacation at a seaside resort with myself as an infant and Jim playing on the sand, and several shots of dad swimming. There was more, says Carl, but I'll spare you. How did these people get hold of family movies that I have never seen before? Here's what I learned. In early March of 1943, our parents were informed that our family would soon be sent to Shandong province, about 200 miles from Jining. We were to collect the minimal necessities for camp life and be ready to leave by March 15th. Our parents did as they were told, but they knew that Japanese officials would not only occupy our house, but also appropriate its contents. So they took the most precious furniture and crammed it into the eaves of an attic room and had a wall built in front of it and painted, hoping to protect their possessions from confiscation by the Japanese army. They also took precious small objects such as photograph albums, 78 RPM phonograph records, books, pictures, and family movies, and tied these into thin bundles with good twine, allowing plenty of extra twine at one end. The walls in our attic were partitions that didn't reach the ceiling. At the top, they had a gap. Our parents lowered their precious things into this gap between the two sets of lathe and plaster and tied the ends of the extra twine to nails at the top of the walls. Thus, at a later time, they could haul up these objects. Our family went to the camp for six months, returned to the States in late 1943, and after three years of blessed normalcy in Rochester, New York, returned to China, arriving in Shanghai on New Year's Day, 1947. At that point, the hospital in Jining was in such terrible condition that dad and the family reopened an old mission hospital in the north before moving on to Canton. But that May, our parents returned to Jining by means of truck, train, and boat and retrieved the furniture and objects hidden in the attic wall. Because of these impressive efforts, these objects are now distributed in the homes of their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. They returned with everything that is except the films. I guess that the strings probably broke, leaving them at the bottom of the gap between the walls. Fast forward, we learned that in 2002, our old house was raised to make room for a hospital expansion. I imagine that when the workers destroyed the attic walls, they must have found these canisters of old 16 millimeter film, and someone had the good sense to call the director of the Jining City Museum. She took the films, in so doing, acquiring a wicked rash, she told us, and kept them safe. 14 years later, when she heard that Jim and I were coming to Jining, she made a digitized copy for the hospital, which is the one with which they surprised us. Before Carl sent me the journal from his trip, I didn't know that his family had been interned during the war. That single casual sentence 
alone was worth hours of reflection. And then I began to try to imagine it, what it must have meant to Jim and Carl to see the moving images of their parents and siblings and themselves in a time before all that terror. What does it mean, I wonder, to have something restored that had been taken from so long ago? How might it inform our faith that there is always a possibility that all is not lost? That, as the prophet Isaiah proclaimed, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. Here's another true story. Jen Bricker was born without legs and relinquished for adoption in Romania. When her adoptive parents, Gerald and Sharon, met their baby in foster care, they said she was lying in the crib. She smiled up at us and, well, there you are. We were in love and it's not changed since. I was theirs and they were exactly who I needed, says Jen. The Brickers raised her with three big brothers in a small town in Illinois. She was a spunky child whose parents never let the word can't be a part of her vocabulary. My parents always said, you can do whatever you want. We believe in you. She tumbled on a trampoline. She went mudding in a three-wheeler. She wanted to roller skate. You want to go roller skating? They asked, we'll figure out a different way. Put the skates on your hands. A YouTube video shows Jen playing basketball, running up and down the court on her hands. She also pursued volleyball and softball, but her passion was gymnastics. At age eight, Sharon and Gerald signed her up for lessons and watched as she collected trophies in power tumbling, won state titles, and competed in the Junior Olympics. They also sat with their daughter as she was glued to TV coverage of the 1996 Olympics, enthralled with the US team's magnificent seven, who brought home gold that year, and mesmerized by her idol, the star gymnast, Dominique Mocianu. I knew I was Romanian, she was Romanian. We kind of look alike, says Jen. Halfway through the Olympics, she said to her parents, wouldn't it be something if we found out we were related? Jen Bricker became an extremely successful tumbler and aerialist, competing against able-bodied gymnasts and insisting that she be judged by the same standards. Eventually, she was discovered by Britney Spears, who cast her on the circus tour. When she was 16, Jen's parents told her that the surname on her birth certificate is Mochianu, the same as her Olympic idol, Dominique. It was an absolutely mind-blowing moment, she says. She wrote a letter, put all the paperwork from her adoption into an envelope, and mailed it to the woman she was sure was her sister. And she was right. Their meeting was a celebration beyond compare. Listening to an interview with Dominique and Jen, you can hear that Dominique had a lot to sort through when her sister's package arrived. It was the biggest bombshell of my life, she says. Rage was my first emotion. Had my whole life been a lie? I had this sister and I never knew it. Jen had been born the day after Dominique's sixth birthday. 
Their parents were poor, she says. The Romanian doctor who delivered Jen in a charity hospital said they would never be able to provide for her. Dominique's story of uncovering this truth is called Off Balance. But Jen has led the way in forgiveness and reconciliation. Her book is called Everything is Possible. All is not lost. And while she is thrilled that her expanded family, nothing that she regained was essential to her well-being or happiness. She had already chosen to live a spectacular life before this unexpected healing of her past. Sometimes all we can do is take up a thread from the tattered tapestry of our lives, even a thin, frayed thread, and carry it forward with the conviction that despite the odds, we can weave something new and beautiful out of something broken and knotted. At the dawn of a new year, the days of awe call us to our unfinished business, even if the business is no more and no less than the willingness to transmute suffering into compassion. Beloved spiritual companions, once again, we are reminded that all we can change is ourselves and that the present is a priceless gift in which to fulfill our divine purpose. If we choose to believe that all is not lost, something wonderful might just show up, perhaps not in a darkened auditorium halfway around the world or on the Olympic stage, but quite possibly where we're least expecting it. We may never understand why things unfold as they do, but may we choose to live with purpose and passion, with grace and gratitude. Happy New Year. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.